0: Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. We're picking up where we left off. You remember these guys from last week, right? Old me and new me. How have how, how you guys been doing in picking the right jacket? Been doing okay? Sometimes I'm getting it right. Who would say sometimes I'm getting it right? Who would say sometimes I'm getting it wrong? You're my people. I love you. I love you. The goal is just to get it more right than we get it wrong, and then to get it more right more often after that. So we we jumped off last week with a verse from, from Paul in Ephesians 4.1 that says, As a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. And we talked about how God has done his work, and now he invites us to partner with him in his work. Because he has done this work of forgiveness and restoration, now we get to live our lives in a way that reflects what he has done. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 22, again from last week, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its sinful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And we agreed together that those first three three words, you were taught— And the fact that Paul was writing to a church meant he understood we don't get it all right all the time. And so this was a, hey, guys, let me remind you of what God has invited you to. So even though we have been born again, that we have been forgiven, we have been restored, there are still times where we might need to do maybe a bit of a self-assessment and partner with the Holy Spirit to choose to live into what God has done. And Paul said you do this in three ways, right? One was to put off your old identity. The other was to be renewed in your attitude and in your thinking. And the third was to put on your new self. We get to choose, we said, how we respond to every situation. Which jacket, the old me or the new me, which person gets to respond in that situation? And I told you, for me personally, where I find the battle between these two jackets more often than not is sitting on the freeway, right? Traffic is where I tend to get tested. Am I going to be the old me or the new me? Yep, I got an amen. I'm not going to go. Anyway, I told you that story. But here's the good news, right? We don't have to supply the power to live into the new. We have to make the choice, the decision, to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. But Paul had said in Ephesians 1 verse 9, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead has been, been uh, is now living within me. So it's not a matter of whether or not it's possible, and it's not a matter of whether or not God will. To a certain degree, it becomes a matter of whether or not I will let him. You with me so far? Okay, that's, that's just the quick review. So the last thing we closed with is this. When I choose to embrace my new identity over the old identity, two things are happening. God is working, right? It is he who works and wills in us according to his good purpose. That's what Scripture says. And the second, and this is critical, I'm choosing to let God work. I have a decision to make every time about whether or not I'm going to respond to a situation as the old creation or if I'm going to allow the Spirit of God to meet me and let me respond differently as a new creation now often this is a battle that takes place in my mind this has something to do with my attitude and where i am choosing to focus my attention so paul goes on in ephesians four twenty three to say be made new in the attitude of your minds any pilots in the room yeah, all right. So, Brian, you're going to know what I'm talking about. I ran this by Marquez, who's in the back right now. Uh, he's my pilot buddy. This is what's called an attitude indicator. So, this is this is what you see when you get into a cockpit, and that thing in the in the red box is an attitude indicator. It has to do where the with the direction the plane is going in relation to the horizon. It will show you: Are you going up or are you going down? Where is your attitude? You have an up attitude. Left attitude, right attitude, down, right, Those probably aren't the right terms, forgive me, but you understand what I'm saying. There is, a, there is a line on the horizon, and where my attitude is in relation to that horizon determines where I'm going to wind up. If my attitude is up, I'm eventually either going to hit the moon or go so high that I'm not getting enough oxygen to my engine and I'm going to crash. If my attitude is down, what's going to happen? Not great. If my attitude is off to the right and never gets course corrected, what's going to happen? I'm going to go in circles until I run out of gas. So your attitude has to do with your relative position, your relative direction in relation to the horizon. Hebrews 12 tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. So Paul says, be renewed in the attitude of your mind. The question that we have to ask is, where is your attitude in relation to Jesus? What is the attitude of your mind in relation to that horizon? Are you focused in? Are you attentive? Or is it kind of off to the left, right, up, or down? If you and I have a down attitude, we begin to interpret everything around us that way, right? If you're having a bad day, Everything that happens to you that day is filtered through that bad attitude. Fair? Right? You win the lottery. You win 100 bucks. That could have been 1000. Right? I mean Am I just talking about myself? I mean when when your attitude is off, every you ever just said to somebody, "I'm just having a bad day." Right? My attitude's off and everything is going to be affected by that. When you become a new creation, when we're born again, a newness begins to take a hold of both of our imagination and our thought life, and we begin to be able to think in new patterns. Our attitude shifts, and we're able to fix our eyes on Jesus, which we couldn't before, and move forward in a way that is healthy for us and for others. So if choosing the new me is as critical as Paul seems to suggest it is, we need to realize that much of the battles that we fight are not battles in our behavior, but they are battles in our mind, in the way we think, in the way we process information, and in the way we respond. And the two places that I personally fight these two battles the most, you may or may not relate to these, are in the area of self-talk and in the area of imagination. What I say to myself in my own mind has a dramatic effect on how I relate to my circumstances and how I relate to the world around you. Any golfers in the room? What? <laughs> That's correct. I've seen you. No, sorry, that was, that was unkind. He consistently scores better than I do, and he knows that. So golfers in the room, you're on the tee box. You know where you want that ball to go. And you line up, you go through all your mechanics, you swing the ball, and you duck hook it out of bounds. What do you say? I'll tell you what I say. I do not say, better luck next time, John. You got this. Usually, and the guys that golf with me will tell you, the first thing out of my mouth is, you moron. You absolute idiot. What kind of a, which doesn't make me a better golfer, by the way. So if I start telling myself every time I'm up on the tee box, don't be the idiot on nine that you were on eight, what's going to happen? My confidence goes in the toilet, which with my golf game, it's kind of where it belongs anyway. But everything begins to go downhill from there. So I start with calling myself names, and I finish with throwing golf clubs. Very rarely, but it has been known to happen. I have been known to bury like a nine iron about three inches deep in the, because I just, I got a buddy named Robbie, and I would golf with Robbie, and every time I would say something like that, he would look at me and go, well, that's a really helpful swing thought. I'm going to hook this out of bounds. I'm going to put the, that's a really healthy swing thought. What is he saying? He's saying, John, your self-talk is critical. And if you develop a process of speaking negatively to yourself, it is going to affect everything that you do. And I fight this, guys, all the time. I'm getting ready for church this morning. And we have had, I mean, you know, we've had this schedule where we have been out all over the place. Nothing has been consistent. And so I haven't been going to the gym. And Wendy looks at me this morning, we're just kind of getting ready, and very innocently says, hey, are you going to get back to the gym? A healthy person would say, Why, yes, I am. I'm planning to go on Tuesday. I simply said out loud, yes, I am. And in my head, I thought, you undisciplined buffoon. What is taking you so long to get off your lazy rear end and get your backside back to the gym? Anybody else? Or am I the only one who talks to myself this way? How healthy is that? Now, if I talk that way about myself, it's probably going to leak out about other people as well. It will pollute what I am saying to myself, affects my, I, my self-esteem, my value of self, which then affects how I relate to people around me. And Paul is saying, John, you need to be renewed in your attitude. It's not just choosing how you're going to behave, but it's choosing how you're going to think, and what you're going to believe. I'm sitting in a, in a counselor's office with my therapist one day, and we're, we're kind of reviewing some of these thought patterns, and she looks at me and says, do you love yourself? And I almost laughed out loud. I thought, now just me saying that, like, do you love yourself? How does that feel to you? My, my first thought to her was like, that's allowed? Like, I thought being a Christian and follow Jesus was, like, all about denying myself. And so I thought denying myself kind of meant I needed to not like myself. What, what do you mean, do I love myself? And she said, well, Jesus loves you, and he thinks you're worthy of love. Do you love yourself? And I looked at her, and I'm like, nope. Why not? Because I am so aware of all my failures and deficiencies, all the things about me that I don't like. And though she didn't say this, I would say to that person sitting there now, do you think Jesus is unaware of those things? And yet he loves you with a love that is beyond compare. If, if you have a negative self-image, if you have developed the pattern of rebuking or criticizing yourself, can I just encourage you to give yourself grace and to be kind to yourself? John, that sounds weird. Yeah, maybe. It also sounds healthy. If I could develop the habit, if we could develop the habit of speaking words of affirmation to our own... This is not in my notes, but somebody needs to hear this. If we could develop the habit, the practice of speaking words of affirmation to our own souls then we would be better positioned and better equipped to show the love of God to people around us because we cannot show the love we do not know. And so if you are in the habit of belittling yourself, if you are in the habit of criticizing yourself, I'm not saying self-assessment isn't healthy, but a healthy self-assessment is not an indictment. If there are things about yourself that you don't like, fine. If you want to get some help and work on them, fine, but don't let them flavor the way you see yourself. You have an issue with anger, okay, let's identify that and let's work on it. Don't spend the next four weeks telling yourself what a failure you are because you're angry. If you are overscheduling yourself and you are really busy and there are things that you are not turning your attention to, maybe... You should get a coach and say, can you help me with my scheduling rather than telling yourself what a horrible person you are because you don't get to everything you need to get. Am I making sense? I think if, if, I think it probably hurts the heart of God to hear us how we talk about ourselves. I think it does. Because he just loves us so deeply and profoundly and he wants us to live in that freedom that that love has provided. So if, you know what, I just want to stop and pray. If, if that's you, like if, if you just can't seem to break free of the cycle of negative self-talk, I just want to pray right now that the Holy Spirit comes and brings you freedom in that area. Because you are greater in the eyes of the Lord than you are in your own. He is the one that says you were fearfully and wonderfully made. He's the one that says you are poema, a handcrafted work of art. And if there is a lie that has taken up root in your heart about who you are, you understand there's a difference between assessing my behavior and assessing my identity. We want to break the power of that lie that would would compromise you in regard to your identity. So, Jesus, we come before you right now, and we choose to let your words of life begin to flush out the things that have taken up root in our own hearts and minds. Your word says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your word says that we are loved. Your word says that we are forgiven. Your word says that we were handcrafted. Your word says that that we were formed in our mother's womb by you, that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. Your word says that we are redeemed and your word says that we are made new. Your word says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your word says shame has lost its power over us. And so, Lord, where we need to repent And I repent, God, I confess that I let those things take up room in my heart and mind. And I receive, Lord God, not only your forgiveness, we receive not only your forgiveness, but the grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to eradicate those patterns of thinking and those lies that have taken up root in our heart and mind. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Okay. I should probably get back to my notes. All right, let me tell here, let me let me give you another one. So if self talk is one of the places that that we find ourselves battling in our minds, the other one I would say is imagination. And let's let's just kind of check, see how our attitudes are in the area of imagination. You ever fought with somebody in your head? Ever cussed out your boss? Not out loud, because that'll get you fired, but maybe all the way home? A spouse? A kid? You just kind of replay, and it usually happens after we feel like we lost an argument. All the things you wish you had said, but you didn't, all the great lines that could have come out, like you drive down the road, or you sit in bed at night, or you just sit at your desk, and those things start churning. You know what I'm talking about? Did you know that emotionally, your brain does not distinguish between real and imagined experiences? Do you know that? What that means is those conversations you are having but not having are having the same emotional impact on you that they would if you were actually having them. Parents, have you ever left for the day, came home, and your kids are just furious with you, slamming doors, mad about stuff, staying in the room, won't come out, and you don't know why? You're like, I haven't been here for eight hours. How could you be this mad at me? It's because they have been fighting with you the entire time you were gone. My dad and I would get into it in the morning. I would lose because he was the dad and I wasn't, and I would churn all day long. Oh, the next time he comes, here's what I'm going to say. Knowing, by the way, full well, I wasn't going to say it, but I would just, it was like a hamster on a wheel, that anger just going and going and going. And so by the time he got home, I was ready to unload. Because that emotion that I had, my anger just grew over time because my, my emotions don't distinguish between what's real and what's not. As you rehearse something in your mind, your memory is impacted just as if the person was standing in front of you. And so Paul would say part of renewing our mind, part of changing our attitudes, and I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to get to the how in just a second, is to reject that kind of thinking. He's saying, John, the new you can be freed from those patterns of thinking that used to enslave you. And the fact of the matter is, church, others only have the power over them that I choose to give them. If I am rehearsing an argument in my mind, If I'm becoming angry with someone who isn't present with me, I am allowing them to have a measure of control over my emotional state of mind and the rest of my day. I don't have to give them that control. I can choose as a new creation Christ follower to respond in a different way. I can choose which jacket I'm going to wear. Let me tell you why that's so important. Paul goes on to talk about how the new you, deal. it got really quiet. Are you okay? It's starting to get a little bit real this morning, right? We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. But I got one more thing I got to say. And then we'll talk about how we get out of it. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Paul says this about anger. He says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry and don't give the devil a foothold. What he is saying there is there is a healthy expression of anger and an unhealthy expression of anger. And if we choose to respond in an unhealthy manner in our anger, we're not just doing something we shouldn't. We are giving not only that person, but the devil himself a measure of control that he will use to try to keep us in the past and out of the new. Doesn't say don't get angry. Anger is a healthy emotion. It does say when you experience anger as a new creation, don't let that anger be damaging to yourself and to others. When I told you last week, I may not have named her in this service because I hadn't asked her permission yet, but when I told you that my daughter got chased down on the freeway by a guy that was threatening to beat her up, I got angry. That is a healthy response. I think I also told you I wanted to put a nine iron through his window. That would be the unhealthy response. That would be sinning in my anger. We get to choose which us, which you, will respond. Everyone in your life ought to be just as safe with you when you are angry, than when you aren't. Let me say that again. Every person in your life ought to be as safe with you when you are angry as when you aren't. Sometimes we feel that being angry gives us license to respond a particular way. As your pastor and your friend, as I'm preaching to myself, allow me to say to you, it does My kids shouldn't have to change the way they live their lives because I'm having a bad day. Sinning when I am angry is a choice that I make. Let me say that to you again. Sinning when I am angry is a choice that I make, but it's one that I don't have to make. That because of what God is doing here, I can choose to respond in a different way. All emotions produce energy. Every emotion. Fear, right? Adrenaline dump. Love. Woo! Maybe, I don't know if that's like an energy expression, but you know what I'm talking about. And anger produces energy. We have to be responsible in what we do with the energy that all of our emotions produce. If I'm 12 years old and I start feeling love, I probably shouldn't get married. That would be an unhealthy use of that energy. And when I am angry, I probably should not lash out at people around me because that would be an unhealthy use of that energy. You will control your emotions or your emotions will control you. But thanks be to God, I get to put on this jacket and not be one who is controlled by my emotions. If I'm not able to direct my anger, the energy of my anger, in a non-sinful way, I am out of control. That's the response of the old me, not the new me. The old me is really familiar with letting anger produce a response and then saying later, I'm really sorry, I was just angry as if being angry was permission for whatever I had just done. Have you ever seen somebody, maybe they've done it to you, maybe you've done it, relaying an argument, they had done something that was kind of out of bounds, and they just said, as kind of by way of explanation, you made me so angry, right? You heard that? You made me so angry. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and go, you made me love you? How could you do that to me? It's not my fault I proposed. You made me love you. But somehow culturally, we've, we've become okay with anger being their fault and not mine. You made me angry, and that's why I did this. Listen, if we're going to be the new creation people that God has called us to be, one of the things that we have to re- realize is that sinful anger is a chosen response. You didn't make me lash out because I was angry. I chose to lash out because I was angry. Because until I come to the place where I acknowledge I chose to do that because I was wrong, I can't take that to Jesus and move from here to here. Paul is saying, remember where we started, live a life worthy of your calling. And one of the things he is saying to do in living a life worthy of your calling is to bring these things that have compelled us in the past to the feet of Jesus and learn to be a different people. And Paul, being Paul, explains to us how we go about that. Okay, so take a deep breath. Here's the good news. There is hope. There is something that Jesus invites us to do with him, that will allow us to become fully different. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me read that to you again. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Paul says, listen, don't don't conform to the pattern of this world. That that means don't be shaped by this age. Don't be shaped by this era. Don't let the old code somehow constrict or restrict you. But allow the Holy Spirit of God to raise you to a higher level of decision-making that when things that once produced this response in you happen because you're able to think and to see differently because God has transformed you and renewed your mind, you are then able to respond this way. Human rebellion against God, Paul says, has a lot to do with wrong thinking. This is why being renewed in our mind is so critical. Let me give you just two examples. Romans 1, 21. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 28. Just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. Wrong thinking. What is Paul saying there? Wrong doing is preceded by wrong thinking. And so God has to do a work where he renews our mind, where we begin to process things differently, and the attitude of our heart and mind is reoriented. So if you want to be aligned in your behavior with God, we have to be realigned in our thinking. And Paul says, this is great. He says, changing the way you think and presenting yourself to God as a sacrifice are linked. You can't separate them. They are, they are one part. Um, they, they are one, they're, they're both part of this whole. That if I want to change the way I see things around me, and if I want God to change the way I think, the first thing is not to try harder or to think more. It is to present myself to God as a living sacrifice. I am constantly and repeatedly meant to climb up on the altar and present myself to God. Now, understand for Paul's audience this was a pretty pretty extreme picture because they they did practice animal sacrifice. And so Paul is saying to you and to me, if you want to be transformed in the way you see the world, if you want to be able to understand what what God has for you in the present and in the future. And if you want to experience this transformation where you're no longer constrained the way those around you were constrained, it cannot happen unless you are willing to present yourself to God as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? It means that when that anger begins to rise up inside of me, It means when that insecurity begins to rise up inside of me and it wants to dictate my behavior and it wants to dictate my response, I have to come to Jesus and lay that on the altar. I have to say to him, God, my anger wants me to respond this way. I am feeling compelled to do this and I know it is not what you want from me, so I am choosing to bring this to you. I am choosing to lay it on your altar. I'm willing to let it die so you can bring something new to life. Surrender will always precede transformation. Will always precede transformation. And when we surrender ourselves as a sacrifice, our minds are transformed. And he says we're able to discern his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. As I'm walking through this stuff this week, kind of struggling with the message a little bit, I'm like, God, what does this look like for us practically? What does it look like for us to live as a people who are so comfortable in the new, that we're no longer constrained by the old? And I think the answer is found in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. If there are things that you are wrestling with right now, some, sometimes, I know, we, we get this disconnect in our heart and minds between... Pastor, you told me I am fully forgiven and I am an absolute redeemed new creation in Christ. And yet I struggle with this particular part of walking my faith out day to day. Can they both be true at the same time? And the answer is, of course they can. Of course they can. And so my encouragement to you is if there are places that feel like they have not yet been fully surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, those things that just seem to raise their ugly head time and time again, that is usually an indication that the Holy Spirit of God is inviting me to a place of fresh, fresh breakthrough. This is why the internal dialogue is so important. If I don't understand that God is always wanting to do something that brings life to me, then every time the Holy Spirit highlights something, I feel like a failure. But if I understand those aren't moments of failure but moments of opportunity because the God who loves me deeply wants to lead me into newness, then I can partner with the Holy Spirit who is committed to chop, knock some of those rough edges off me so I can be more like Jesus. Because being more like Jesus is where I'm going to find fulfillment. It's where I'm going to find peace. It's where I'm going to find joy. And I want to be a person who is not constrained by anger but constrained by joy. Anybody else prefer joy to anger, peace to anxiety? I've got so much more I could say, but I'm not going to. The last time, by the way, a service really encouraged me and and exhorted me to keep preaching longer uh, was a second service, and I forgot that our kids' department is not ready for me to preach until Jesus comes back. And, uh, and, and they let me know. They let me know. You are forgiven. You are redeemed. You are set free. And from time to time, the Holy Spirit is going to give you a nudge. Says, John, I want to bring more freedom in this particular area. And so when he does that, I would just encourage you to honor the nudge. Say yes to Jesus. Allow his Holy Spirit to work in you so that freedom may come that you haven't yet experienced. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good to us. You are just so very good to us. And, Lord, your word says that you work and you will in us according to your good purpose. There is nothing, Lord Jesus, that we have talked about this morning that you are not willing to walk alongside of us in. There is no freedom we yearn for that your Holy Spirit doesn't empower us to experience. And so we just want to start by saying thank you. Thank you for being the God who walks alongside. Thank you for your nearness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that every time we offer ourselves as a sacrifice, that the miracle of your death and resurrection becomes true in our lives Something dies, but something else comes, to new life. Lord God, help us to live daily as new life people, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Dads, happy Father's Day. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.